Welcome to Glitch Cube, our gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. Welcome back to another fun and exciting episode for you guys. Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us for another week of this. We are coming up pretty damn close here. We're only about a couple months away from our one-year anniversary of podcasting. It's nuts. Oh, yeah. It's so crazy. And you know what, Chris? I just got to say I'm really proud of us because we have not taken a week off. We have not missed a deadline. Like, we're staying consistent, staying true to what we wanted from the beginning. So, yeah. And we got to say thank you. Thank you for all the love and support to the community out there. Um, without you guys, we definitely would not be doing this. So, yeah, it's just huge shout out to all of you guys out there. So many amazing shows out there for everybody to check out. And, yeah, definitely just thank you all. Um, but before we hop into today's topic, uh, which is going to be a pretty good one, I think, for you guys, uh, I would like to start out like we do always with some joyous plugs from the week. So what do you have for us this week, Chris? Oh, boy. Um, well, as I was talking before, I've been really like kind of playing games from my past that I always wanted to and actually be Legend of Dragoon the nice. other day. Yeah. And... Uh, it was really good. Like it, you know, I'm always a lot of people tell me, oh, this is a masterpiece. This is great. And, you know, I, I understand nostalgia plays that kind of trick on people's minds where sometimes an OK game will be amazing just because it was their childhood. Right. But I actually really, really liked it. It it was good. And I mean, for the time that it came out, I mean, it it, it stood out when you think about it, like the story was kind of dark. Uh, combat was a lot of fun with the button mashing and it was enjoyable. I mean, I didn't do all the, the end of like the, the side missions and stuff. Cause I was just already getting kind of tired towards the end, but mm -hmm. I really had fun with it. It was a good, like 50 hours and I highly recommend it, you know? And, yeah. uh, now I'm starting Xenogears, which is a game that I've always wanted to play. Yeah, I tried getting into that one a while ago, but it's just one of those that it's there's so much to it and it's so fucking long as well. That, yeah. Yeah. It's hard it's, to get into. But I think after coming from Legend of Dragoon to this, the battle system just works for me because it's more like pressing button combos again. Mm. And the story, like, I'm glad I waited till now to play it because the story seems really deep. Mm -hmm. And if I would have played it when I was younger, like a kid, when it came out, it wouldn't have made sense to me. It, I mean, I had a good grasp on things at a young age, but the the philosophical side of this game, it would have just went right over my head. Right. But I totally understand that now, and it's it's good. I'm I'm really enjoying it. And I can see why people say it's like the the shining pillar for the PlayStation. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Would you say it is the Final Fantasy killer that it was claimed to be? Ooh. <laughs> was it claimed? That's what a lot ooh, of people said. Yeah. Ooh, hi, puberty. Now, hi. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah, a lot of people were saying that was maybe the Final Fantasy killer. Like, that was supposed to be the next big thing, but it just kind of dropped off. Um, You know, if Seven wouldn't have been, like, so monumental at the time, mm. and then we would have just been stuck with, like, eight, Yes, I could have seen that. That's true, huh? You know, like, if 9 wouldn't have kind of carried 8, I think that, yeah, it could have been, like, 
the big rival, even though it's all Squaresoft. But I mean, still, like it, it would have been like a big blow to Final Fantasy in a sense. Yeah. But you know, there's the thing with Final Fantasy is you know it has intricacies to it, but it's still simple. And for the most part, it's just you know you get your story. It's nothing too deep. This game is trying to be deep with what it's talking about, which I I like because it's different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, looking at it now, like, eh, there's a reason why Final Fantasy kept going. Right. Yeah. Now, I tried playing. I've played through a little bit of it. My retro arc is acting up on me, so I got to, you know, start that back up. But from what I've seen so far, it's pretty amazing. And I definitely want to finish it. So I'll have to finish that up for you guys. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? All right. So usually I talk about things that make me really happy. And this one did bring some joy, some nostalgia feels. But I really would be remiss if I didn't talk about Space Jam, a new legacy. Uh-huh. All right. So Space Jam, 26 years, right? It's been 26 years since we've had Space Jam. And I freaking loved Space Jam. That was like my movie growing up. It was um, it was amazing. Like, I still remember the day I got it. And it was a really kind of like horrible circumstance in which I acquired this film. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, I grew up in a really bad area. Right. I grew up in San Ysidro oh. in California. If you guys don't know it, it's it's pretty it was pretty bad down there. Basically, you couldn't walk around if you, uh, and not get into a fight, really. Like, that's just kind of the area that it, we were growing up in. And I remember once I went down to run to the ice cream truck because, you know, short little fat kid, got to have my ice cream. And that was like the one like happy point in the day. And all of a sudden you just hear like a few loud like bangs going off in the parking lot. Basically just gunshots. It's great. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of my dad's friends, Tank. Yes, his name is Tank. <laughs> came running out and was like, Christian, get in the house. And like he puts me into the house with his son and he's like, you guys stay in here for a bit, play games or something. So we're playing games. And then, you know, like an hour later, Tank comes back and he gives us Space Jam. <laughs> we each uh, have our own copy. And so we spent the rest of the day watching Space Jam. Do I know what happened outside? I probably do. Yeah. But when I was a kid, all I could remember was, hell yeah, Space Jam. <laughs> so <laughs> so now, you know, I, I watched the new one recently and... I got to say, it is a fun movie. It's it's fun. It's interesting. You can tell they try to update it for the times. But I feel like they really threw way too much into it. Like they had the entire WB universe in this movie, which made it a little confusing. Like in the crowd, like there's so many still shots you can find in the crowd. And it's kind of like playing Where's Waldo of like what you see. Like they had freaking Voldemort hanging out in the crowd. They had White Walkers from Game of Thrones. And I think the biggest one that stood out to me is like, why are they here? Right. Like of all people to put in this movie, why are they here? It was the characters from A Clockwork Orange. Like <laughs> it blew my mind to see them in the crowd, like cheering. Like so what kid out there is going to know who the hell these people are? Right. And to think that they actually included these characters, which are straight up just rapists and like just ca- agents of chaos, basically in this movie, the kids movie about like fucking Looney Tunes and shit like that. Like it felt like they were trying to cater to us, like the audience of us who grew up watching this and who are now 26 years older. Like we're going to know these, these different franchises, but then at the same time, they keep like rearing it back to like, Oh yeah. Remember this is a kid's movie for your kids. 
right? Like it it had like a weird juxtaposition between that. And I don't know, it it's a fun movie. As far as saying like it's a good movie, eh, probably not. I think they waited too long to actually make it. And it probably is a little, you know, a little too late to actually make a decent Space Jam 2. But they don't even like kind of say it's Space Jam 2. Like they have to reteach all the guys how to play basketball. And like they kind of hint at it every once in a while, like uh, about playing with, uh, you know, Michael Jordan in a previous game. They have the Monstars in there too, but they're like in there for like five seconds. So it's like, like a quick little like, oh, they start, you know, cheering when the bad guys are winning, which is its own awkward situation there. But I don't know. It is fun. I mean, if you can watch it for free, watch it. But it, it's it's interesting to say the least. Sounds like a WB jam, like them not really even talking about the past movie. It's just kind of weird. You know, it's. Yeah. Hmm. And like spoiler alert, like. The the main premise of the movie is WB calls them in or calls LeBron in for like an idea, like a money making idea of having him be included in WB movies. And he turns them down and says, oh, I need to focus on the game and not worry about making movies. And in my head, I'm like, you're making a WD movie. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like you're doing exactly what you're, you your character is saying don't do. So it's kind of like. I don't know. Like WB Inception. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. And the main villain is an algorithm in their servers whose name whose name is Algae Rhythm. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I got to say, like, it's just it's a lot. It's it's a lot to watch. And but it's fun. It's it's a movie. The notorious P.I.G. Oh, gosh, the rap. The rap. They mi- missed opportunity there. They should have had like Buster Rhymes or Twista come back to do the, you know, Porky Pig rap. But nah, it, it was it was actually like a slow rap. Like it wasn't even like a rap rap. I don't know. But they like uh-huh. they blew it up with the whole like hype men in the background, you know, a Tweety Bird flying across the screen going, oh, but it just oh, was. No. Yeah. It was, oh, gosh. And then like actual sequences from the Matrix and like the. I mm, yeah I don't know man <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie. How about that? <laughs> All right. So for today's episode, what we're going to be going over is something that's crucial for gaming as a whole. Right? There's obviously gameplay. We went over that last month quite a bit, quite extensively, and we went over a bunch of different mechanics and things like that. That was really fun to go over. But what really stands out when you're looking at a game, what really enhances general theme or just how you feel or what increases your nostalgia when it comes to gaming, I would say are two different facets. You have the audio and the art of a game, right? So today we're going, we compile or compiled some of our favorite audio files or audio tracks or soundtracks from games, as well as some games that the art style just stood out to us and kind of blew us away. Um, and we're going to be sharing those with you in this episode. Uh, um, so, yeah, why don't you just jump right in? Let us know what your we're going to start with the audio side first, and then we're going to hop over to the art after that. So why don't you hop in and let us know some of your audio tracks that stood the test of time? Um, For me, ooh, where do I start? Mm-hmm. I think first I want to talk about just the person that was really has always done amazing 
mm-hmm. soundtracks and audio work in the field. Um, Yuzo Koshiro, he did a lot of like, he still makes music for games too and animes and all that. Mm-hmm. But the guy was really a genius uh, with his music. And I think the first time I really ever heard one of his songs was an act raiser. Um, I just recently, like, I had played it when I was younger a little bit, but didn't really get far in it because towards the end it got a little challenging for me. Mm-hmm. And recently I replayed it, and, like, the music in it is good. Like, it's... I want to say it stands out for that SNES era, even though there were a lot of games during that time that had great soundtracks. Mm-hmm. But the the melodies in it, it's just it struck me differently than other games and just stood out and i mean you listen to any of the other games he's worked on and it's just it it's above what other game soundtracks were at the time in my opinion right and i feel like act razor is probably i don't want to say his best work but i think for like me on the SNES, that one really stood out. And most of the tracks I'm going to talk about today are from the SNES era. Thanks. Not just because of memories for me, but it was just damn good back then. They were experimenting more, and the the sound system on the SNES and Genesis was just nice, and mm-hmm. it was good. It really brings up the feels. Well, and it's amazing what they were able to accomplish with the limited software that they had back then. I mean chiptunes are around because of this system like they had to make something work for their games and that was what they had at the time right so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of amazing to think about what they were able to come up with that worked in these very like i guess you could say like limited storage capacity cartridges so like they had to get something like because audio files can be pretty damn big so the way that they were able to make these audio or the audio for these games and make them super iconic with that like very um, I guess specific sound, right? Like it, it's quite astonishing. Yeah, it's it's really nuts, and I mean, it kind of goes into some of his other work, like Streets of Rage Two, where it's like an electronic sound, which I think during that time you didn't really hear like kind of dance music or EDM really at all mm-hmm. in games, and I mean, when you compare like you know, other brawlers like Final Fight or, God, there were so many back then, the Turtles in Time. Mm-hmm. They all had, like, heavy metal soundtracks, and that was kind of the big thing during that time if they were trying to, instead of picking, like, an 8-bit kind of sound, it was always metal. And with Streets of Rage 2, it was cool because it's it, it's dance music. Like, it it's good. It really, like, pumps you up. And for me, like, that's what really stood out because it's, so different it actually probably was what got me into electronic music mm-hmm. in a sense because some of the sound songs on it are like really really good right it doesn't even sound like game music honestly but um what about you what what stands out to you yeah i mean so for my first pick like something that really just stands out completely and i you know, it's from Final Fantasy VII, and it's it's the song. There's so many great tracks that were in that game, so many iconic ones. Pretty much every single song on there has now become like its own iconic thing, like right? Like we have the Chocobo theme, we have the One Wicked Angel, all those amazing tracks. But the one that it still like stands out to me is like every time I hear it, I get really pumped up, and it's like oh shit, like something is about to happen. 
is the Genova theme. Like that that track is so like filled with emotion and just feeling of like high tension and just just chaotic energy throughout the whole thing where it's like oh fuck like I need to basically like I'm encountering the final fight right like the final mm -hmm. boss and I need to get this shit done and like you feel you almost start to feel like the like the the battle going on within the track itself so it was really cool to hear that that music and then it's interesting too because from what I remember playing through it and I've played through Final Fantasy 7 quite a few times but even though it is turn-based fighting, right, it's slower-paced fighting, right? But that song makes the fights feel faster. Like, they feel higher tension for some reason. And it just, they did such an amazing job with it. It just stands out to me so much in such a great title, or a great track. I mean, that game's soundtrack in general is just so good i mean the genova to me is one of the ones that stand up the most too so i totally i totally get you on that like for me that and the what is it, the flower in the citadel or i can't yeah that it, it, it's something like that it's with a flower in it it's mm -hmm. been a while like those two tracks like to this day i can just hear the sound in my head like it's it's weird how that is just saved in my brain yeah, they're just ingrained in your mind. And it's cool that like with the remake, they did, you know, revamp those those tracks. And I've listened to them kind of like redone now. And I still keep going back to the originals. There's something about the way that like when you listen to the new Genova track versus the old one, the tension is just so much different. And mm -hmm. like the energy behind it, because like it has like the trumpets in there, which kind of like give the flair of like, okay, you're here, we're, we're doing this, we're, we're accomplishing our goal. But then it also has that like very high pitched sounds in the background of like creating the tension of like this battle going on. It, everything about it is like really interesting and like well composed to make it feel like a grand like situation. It had a charm to it. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's how I feel about the remake in general compared to like the old, like the old just had this charm and the sound just went perfectly with the setting and the way it looked and everything. You know, it's I get with like modern games, they go for more of like an orchestrated sound, which I mean, sounds great, too. You know, sometimes it's even better than movies. But there's something about that old kind of synthesizer sound of like older games that just has. I don't know, even without nostalgia, really like playing a part of it, it's just. It has like a soul yeah. almost. Yeah. It it works with the setting better. Yeah. And it's actually interesting too how the music from Final Fantasy VII actually pairs up really well with the menu sounds of the game itself too. Like they all huh. just kind of fit well together, right? Like it's one of those like when you're playing through, you hear the little like bips and boops while you're scrolling through the menu. And it just sounds good with the tracks because they're all made with like the same instruments almost. And it just... Everything kind of fits and meshes well together. It's very interesting. I never really noticed that, but I do appreciate when games have a, a menu music that matches with the, the area music too as well. Yeah, so it's not too much like clashing. They just kind of blend, which is really cool. Yeah. What else you got for us? Do you have another standout? I do. Um, now, this is purely nostalgia to me, mm -hmm. uh, my childhood. But uh, 
the Sim City soundtrack on the Super Nintendo. Oh, nice. Uh, it's it's weird because for years I didn't think about this game at all. And then randomly I was listening to, I don't know if it was a podcast or somewhere, but I heard a track from it and the track's Village. And it just, it brings me back to the game. And with the game, I mean, some city, you're building cities, right? Each, when you start out, your town is a village. Like it only has a couple little like industrial zones, residential, blah, blah, blah. And then when the population goes up, it increases to city. Mm. And then after that, it's like metropolis and then megapolis. And each time it transitions to a bigger city, the music gets more intense. And after, like with city, it's kind of this, it's less melodic, like village. It adds more like kind of like, more like not dance, but has more percussion in it. Mm-hmm. And then once it hits like Metropolis, it has this kind of industrial sound to it. So mm-hmm. it's like a total shift. It's not this peaceful little town anymore. It's a city. Right. And then after that, it's just kind of like this like heavy music. And you're like, whoa, like it, it's crazy how it really fits like where you're at in the game. Right. It's just not something I would have really expected from a SimCity kind of game. Mm-hmm. but to me just the sounds of it just it it really brings back my childhood because i mean i used to play this game a lot even though i didn't understand it at the mm-hmm. age like i didn't i didn't know what the hell it was i was just placing blocks on the map thinking hoping it would work right and i mean sometimes it did but uh the soundtrack was done by soyo oka mm-hmm. who actually did the music for a couple other super nintendo games like Pilot Wings, Super Mario All-Stars, Super Mario Kart, and a couple other that were more uh, Japanese released. Um, But yeah, I mean, to me, it's a soundtrack that is good. It's especially like the the city stage uh, tracks, I think. I mean, they're the kind of tracks that would stand out compared to the rest of the sounds in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of Animal Crossing with that track and kind of how a little like, bit how they're very like very simple melodic tunes that kind of get lost to. It's almost like like the lo-fi meditative music that you would listen to. Yeah, and it it's it's really nice, especially for like builders. Like even Minecraft has that that really iconic musical theme that just is very just kind of like mellow and chill and just kind of gets you in the mood to kind of i guess like complete these remedial tasks over and over again but it it doesn't like add any tension or clash against anything that you're doing it just kind of enhances the whole overall like vibe of the game of just like a relaxing thing right and actually real quick i gotta shout out the fact that (laughs) i don't know if you heard it but animal crossing does have a chrome plugin where you can you know how with it every mm-hmm. hour yeah every hour in animal crossing the music changes depending on if it's like sunny or raining like they have tracks for every situation like that yeah and uh, there's a chrome plugin that you can have the animal crossing music player and it'll play the music from animal crossing every hour depending on what hour it is and what the weather's like so you can actually download that on your chrome browser if you are like really big fan of animal crossing you can have that constantly on your chrome browser that's crazy. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a really nice touch. It, it is cool. I mean, I love Animal Crossing. I didn't 
That, that's wild. Yeah. It's yeah. like you're playing Animal Crossing in real life. I know, right? Yeah. Do that while you're, you know, typing up a report or doing some random work. It might actually put you in a better mood to complete those tasks. Who knows, right? Hey, you never know. Yeah. Worth Typing out that email, hiding on incognito mode at work. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to some, Listen to some delightful tunes from <laughs> KK Slider. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my next two tracks that I want to talk about, and the reason why I'm going to clump these two together is because I encountered these actually on uh, playing on iOS. So these are two games that I Ooh. actually, yeah. Then... The first one I got to talk about is uh, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. This game is phenomenal. If you guys haven't played it, it's it's a really interesting pixel art game that kind of blew my mind. It wasn't what I expected, especially from an iOS game. There, it, There's just so much to it and so much feeling and vibe and just wonderful stuff. And the soundtrack really like ups the ante a lot with that. And it just makes it so, so good. And there's a specific track that I'm talking about. It's called Lone Star. Um, and it's that very like synthwave, chiptune-y, like it brings back some of those vibes from older games and then upgrades them to like, n like more modern times, right? By adding in some nice like guitar sounds where every once in a while even the composer will throw in like Spanish guitar or some interesting like kind of like flutes or ocarina style music. And it just all blends really well together to kind of create the overall vibe of the game. And even the artwork for the game goes hand in hand with this and just kind of enhances all of it. It's just a really wonderful title that... I recommend uh, everybody just check it out. Um, the composer is uh, Jim Guthrie. And the entire soundtrack is just great from start to finish. And I think one of the things that really brought this soundtrack home to me and made me really appreciate it was while I was going through um, my studies of game design, we would have to make a bunch of games, obviously. Like, that's kind of part of the whole, the whole point of the degree, at least. And I would actually use a lot of the the music from Jim Guthrie in my games or like the demos that I was making because I just love the vibe of it. And it just really set like a mood instantly without having to do much. Like he, the way he composes music just really is it's a beautiful thing. It's great. So. Hmm. Yeah. And then the other one that I know this game is on a lot of different platforms, but I played it first on iOS as well, and that's Bastion. Bastion is amazing. If you guys haven't played that one, Supergiant Games, right, I believe? It, um, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's yeah. such a beautiful game. Uh, yeah, the artwork is amazing. Um, the combat is really well done. Top-down isometric view, uh, kind of like a tile-based set, which is really cool. And then um, there's so many good tracks in this game that are just really, really well done. They're really fun, but there is one track in specific that I that almost doesn't feel like game music, right? It just sounds like really good, like folk music, something to kind of like vibe out to. It's called um, it's Zia's theme. It's also called Build That Wall, which I know that that connotation or that term kind of has like a bad taste in our mouth now. Build that wall, but there's so many. That's why I was kind of hesitant to put it in there. But just the overall vibe of it and like it just really it's more about like building up that wall and barrier from other people, right? Like other people are trying to get to you and like help you out, but you keep building that wall and blocking people out, right? 
and it's just a beautiful beautiful track the lyrics are wonderful and it just kind of helps set this like i said the overall vibe of the game and just really really bring it home and just bring more meaning to the whole the whole experience itself just a really strong track god that game was beautiful yeah yeah. It it really is like when I think of the indie game that really like defines it, that game is just all around like great. Yeah, I agree. Now, there are so many different games out there and so many different soundtracks that really are just incredibly iconic, right? Like you can't really think about audio tracks without talking about, you know, like Tetris theme or even any music from Super Mario Brothers or like. Um, even like the Mega Man, like Mega Man Two main or the the stage select music. That's such a like crazy music that is just so iconic in its own time. But I feel like what we wanted to do with this was kind of like branch out a little bit and give you guys something different to to check out to to I guess witness or to live through, right? Experience. Like experience. There you go. Uh, it's just. There's so many different soundtracks out there and the way that indie games have helped elevate this medium and the way that they're using music now to enhance the overall theming that they're creating is just amazing to see. And one of the big things as far as like, it's not just soundtracks that really help set the theme for games. Like it's also ambient noises as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like look at Dead Space. like. You mentioned too that uh, Dead Space is going to be getting a remaster here pretty soon, which is amazing to see because I remember playing Dead Space originally and just listening to the world around me. That was such a crazy experience for me because you can just hear things crawling in the vents and you hear the ship creaking and just all the noises. And actually, if you leave the game on idle, you'll see Isaac, the main character, um, like kind of like looking over his shoulder or looking around or randomly aiming at things as if he's like hearing the ambient noises with you and kind of experiencing it all with you at the same time. So I'm curious to see, like, it would be so great to see them enhance that as well. And I'm hoping that they, they take the time to not just enhance the visuals of the game, but enhance the audio too, because that was such a big component of this title that made it that much more creepy or just interesting to play through. I bet they will just because 3D audio is becoming kind of normal mm -hmm. for a lot of like bigger games. I I could see it because I mean, what better game to have that included than being stuck in a spaceship by yourself? Yeah, seriously. You know, talk about like, that. That's, it's yeah. scary enough. That's definitely a way to enhance it for sure. Oh, my God. 3D audio with that would be so amazing. Gosh, I'm excited. I. I've never played Dead Space. I have it. I actually was going to play it recently, and then I just forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I didn't know about the ambient noise thing, so, I mean, now I'm, like, actually, I really want to play it. Yeah, they did a really great job with it. When it comes to just walking around the ship or when you're in zero-gravity moments where you hear your breathing so much more louder and then the world around you gets, like, muffled out when you're, like, walking through space, it's just such a great job with that art or with that, that sound space. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. 
<sighs> hey, man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. Ugh. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. <laughs> All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee. Alright, so now we're going to be transitioning over from music over to the art side of things real quick. Uh, there's quite a few games out there that really have enhanced the medium of games itself, not just through their gameplay, not just through their music, but also through just the way they look, right? And a lot of the times these games do get met with some backlash as far as them maybe pushing the medium too far or taking the, the franchise into a different direction that people weren't anticipating or weren't really into at the moment. But then looking back at it, they definitely went in the right direction, right? Um, and I think the first game to talk about, I think that really hit home for this and was Wind Waker with mm -hmm. the way that the cell shading games, cell shading was not popular when it first came out. People actually did not like the way that it looked with like the first tech demos and things like that. They thought it was too cartoony or too kiddish. Right. Um, and there was a lot of backlash to it, but they stuck through and they continue making this game. And for me, at least, I feel like Wind Waker is fucking beautiful and it's one of my favorite additions to the legend of zelda franchise itself and i think that it's just such a great art style that stands the test of time that like even now playing it back or playing it playing it now it still holds up and it's something interesting to look at and i think it's because it's not trying to be like hyper realistic that cartini style helps it survive longer in my opinion um what, what are your thoughts on wind waker so, I mean, Wind Waker and cell shading in general, I remember when the images first came out for Wind Waker, and I remember like everyone was thinking it was going to be that realistic Zelda that we saw the tech demo of and all that. Mm -hmm. Like, it was going to be real, you know, like Twilight Princess at least, like that kind of style. Um, I loved it. I mean, I, I personally loved cell shading in games, and I still do. Mm -hmm. I don't really care for the Borderlands style where it's more realistic i like when it's more cartoony right uh with wind waker i i thought it fit really well with the theme because i can't imagine a realistic looking zelda 
in that setting. Like it mm-hmm. was cell shading. If it fits the setting or the story, then it makes the game. You know, you look right. at Jet Set Radio. You look at Beautiful Joe. It's just those games, Okami, and mm-hmm. it's it blends well with what what's going on in the game. And yes, there are games out there with cell shading that just aren't good. Right. But I feel like it's, I love it. I mean, you look at Suda 51 and most of their games have a form of cell shading and they're, they do really well Mm -hmm. with their sales and everything. But I remember back in the day, people like crapped on cell shading in games. Like they thought it was cartoony. It was a joke. And with Wind Waker especially, people were just hating on it. And I'm like, dude, this game's good. Yeah. It it honestly, for the longest time, it was my favorite Zelda just because I loved the exploration in it. And like for me with Zelda, exploration's a big thing. That's why I loved Ocarina of Time. It felt like I could explore everything. Right. And Majora's Mask had a beautiful map, but with the time limit, you couldn't really explore it. But Wind Waker was just so beautiful, you had to explore it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head where it really depends on the overall theming of your game, right? Um, I I can't imagine a, a horror game with something like Wind Waker cell shading art style. It just doesn't fit that overall idea. And I think they were trying to bring back that whimsy, bring back that like childlike wonder of exploration, it back into the Zelda franchise. And I think it works amazingly for this title. And seeing, I don't know if I could see this title being used, or I don't think I would appreciate it as much as I did or still do if it was using graphics like Twilight Princess. It just wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't feel the same. And I don't think it would stand the test of time. Like Twilight Princess still stands true because of the overall setting and theme that they set up behind it. They wanted to make a grungier game. So the environments themselves feel grungier, feel more, you know, real or whatnot. But Wind Waker was all about exploration and like the idea of going out there and finding things, right? It's it just like exploring the seas and just figuring out what you can do with the world itself. They they left it very open for you to do those things. And the cell shading I helped, or I believe, or I think helped enhance that overall feeling as you're going through. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with Zelda, especially, is every game kind of has a different style. And almost every style they've done with Zelda has worked for what the game is. And I I think that's beautiful. I, I honestly love that they change the look of the Zelda games like they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes it interesting and different. Yeah. And to continue on with the cell shading, you mentioned it, but Okami, man. Oh, my gosh. The first time I saw Okami, I was blown away. It just mm-hmm. so, so beautiful to play that game. And it was so great to see like Japanese lore being brought out and, you know, like shipped in a game and sent out to the masses and just really, really cool way of doing it. And the I feel like that art style was enhanced by the gameplay itself. It just it meshed so well together where your main mechanic is literally painting on the screen. That's how you yep. do your magic spells. So it made sense for the characters to look like paint, to look like paint strokes. Like everything looked like very just beautiful. And you could see it like if you were browsing through someone's sketchbook, you would see these still frames in there and just so, so well done. And the story itself was great. It was just super, super fun to play. Um, it had like its own little like kind of goofy move- moments, which 
I feel like was enhanced further by the overall visuals itself. Um, it's just just such an astonishing game to play, and the art style I hope was really fun to experience as well. Yeah, I think with Okami, it really that's what made me really like cell shading the most because it, like you said, it it feels like you're painting. And for me, like before cell shading was a thing, I I loved games that had that like hand drawn, hand painted style to them. Yeah, and I figured. Oh, cell shading is the the 3D version of a hand painted object. Like mm-hmm. it just looked like it, and Okami did it perfectly. And I I think that's why to me, like it still looks beautiful to this day. Cell shading doesn't really age that much. Yeah, no, it it stands the test of time. That's for sure. And actually, going off of the the painterly aspect of games and visuals, there's a new game that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Here, it's called Dordonia. Dordonia, yeah, which is actually Hodor. <laughs> yeah, Hodor. No, <laughs> it's called Dordonia, and it, Dordonia is a region in France, but it's a it's literally a watercolor painting game. Like it's we, oui? <laughs> yeah, we, <oui>. yes. <laughs> it's so good. Like our visuals of it look so good. I obviously we haven't been able to play it yet. It's still kind of being made, but. It's such a great title as far as like exploration goes and being able to go through it. It almost feels like you're walking into a Matisse painting, which is really cool. You get to explore the the region itself. You collect different um, like you can even collect like sound bites and Polaroids of areas. And every Polaroid you take looks like a still like a painting that you would do in the field. And you create little like diary entries for that day. So as far as like gameplay, it's probably going to be very simple in that matter. And it's more of an exploration of the art style itself and to see how it fits in gaming. But I'm really interested to see how it's done or how well it gets portrayed because these things are actually like painted. It's actual painted artwork that's being put into a game. And it's so cool to see um, actual like artwork, like hand drawn artwork being put into video games. Like that's such an astonishing thing to me. Yeah, it when I saw the trailer that you sent me, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this game is beautiful. And it's crazy because you think about like watercolor in games before. And I mean, we've seen it with like Child of Light, which was one that I thought was really beautiful, oh, too, yeah. even though it was more on the simple side. You know, you look at Gree and that was another one that was like, whoa, you know, it's yeah. it's crazy that they can really bring that art to life now with what they can work with like it literally looks like you're playing a painting yeah i mean like Gree really hit it home right like when it comes to audio design as well as like just basic theme and then the art style on top of it the way that they were able to layer all those things to create such an amazing experience to go through where you really feel that story right like you 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 feel it down like it tugs at your heartstrings so hard and we talked about it before like in our episode on depression way 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 long ago <laughs> when we first started yeah. the show feels like a long time ago now after we talked about it almost a year yeah we're almost there it's crazy but that the art style of it is just phenomenal and everything about it i love the the fact that it was hand-drawn and i remember actually uh, following the artist for this game for uh, like at least a couple years before the game even came out 
and seeing just his sketches. And then when I play the game, seeing those sketches coming to life, it was just so much fun to actually witness and play through the world that they've created. And I just have to give like a big like round of applause and just really give credit where credit's due of being able to figure out how to put hand-drawn animations into these games. Because like that was, I mean, the first game to do it, I believe, or one that stood out the most, at least as far as mainstream goes, would be Cuphead, right? Mm -hmm. And the ability to put that into a game was something that people weren't really thinking about doing because it's all about digital art and making it easier for the animators. But whenever they take the time to actually put in hand-drawn animations, it really stands out. You can really tell the difference. And it just makes it so much more beautiful. And I feel like those games, just like cell shading, are going to stand the test of time that much longer. Because graphics aren't going to um, be the hindrance of it, right? Like when you look at these like painted games or hand-drawn games, the like if you look at old cartoons from like the 1930s, right? Like those still are fun to watch. They're interesting to look at because it's not like taking that that are the newest style of graphics and implementing them right like if you look at toy story one it doesn't really hold up anymore as far as the visuals go unfortunately and that wasn't even that long ago but then when you compare it to it's beautiful <laughs> what are you talking toy about story one if you really look at like the backgrounds and things like that there's nothing there they're empty backgrounds the facial animations are really not that great like thanks for destroying <laughs> you're welcome that's what i'm here for <laughs> But it's just one of those things where if you look at like even games that were made, you know, a couple years ago, we look at the graphics and we're like, ooh, like, <laughs> I can't believe I thought that looked good. Right. Like, it's just it's hard for actual like 3D graphics to hold true for an extended period of time. But then we look at these games that we've been talking about, like the Wind Waker, Okami, Cuphead, Grease, those games still look good now. So there's something to that as far as like taking the extra time and paying attention to the style of animation to make it stand true for the longer period of time. Yeah. I mean, when you look back, I mean, I love sprite-based stuff, you know, like 16-bit, you know, SNES era. Like, those always look classic just because it was, you know, beautiful. And then you look at early polygon, like 64-bit, like, say, Final Fantasy 7 or mm -hmm. early PlayStation Saturn those graphics didn't age well at all no but at the and time you were like blown away right the opening sequence yeah. of Final Fantasy 7 I remember calling my mom into the bedroom when I first turned around and being like mom look at this oh my god and like thinking it looks so cool but now it's like ooh, okay <laughs> yeah it those early polygons don't age well. I mean, even when you look back at PlayStation 3, and I mean, there were there were quite a few games that really pushed the boundaries that made it look good, but a lot of them, like, they were just empty. Yeah. Yeah, the character looked good, but the backgrounds were empty. And, I mean, going back, uh, back to the PlayStation era, I think of, like, two games that really did that hand-drawn thing really well uh, i think about like saga frontier 2 which i think was my first like hand-drawn game that i ever played mm -hmm. and i mean looking at it today and i mean yeah the the portraits of the characters definitely have aged but it it just it still looks beautiful to this day same with legend of mana it's those two games 
look like as if they probably could have come out maybe a few years ago versus like what more than 20 years ago right. it they definitely aged better than say the 3d games that came out around the time well, and yeah. it's i don't know i mean as someone who loves that era i can look past those really bad polygons but i do love that they're you know remaking these old games or you know touching them up and it's interesting because lately i've been messing around with like different emulators and i've been doing like duck station just to kind of see these old games in a 4k resolution mm -hmm. and it was interesting because i was like oh i kind of want to check out uh how legend of dragoon looks in like better like enhanced right mm -hmm. and it's interesting because it, it smooths the polygons right so it looks more clean and it's weird because when you look at it, sometimes if you do your apps, like the, the settings just right with some of these PlayStation 1 games, they almost look like PS2 games mm -hmm. with these enhancements. And it's like, dude, we could just remake all of these old games. I mean, obviously I want new games, but God, I would love if I could play some of these old games with at least like maybe some like fine touches to it and make it look nice yeah. but i mean coming back to it it's also good when you have a game that doesn't look like it ages at all like with hand-drawn games right. and cell shading yeah i think that's really an important thing to talk about too as far as like game conservation like we have art conservation so we really need to be able to conserve games there's so many games out there that we just can't play anymore or it's just really hard to find a copy of it that is good enough to play through so being able for having them be able to remake these games or touch them up over time it's really amazing to see that and i feel like we need more of that now because a lot of these people who are or a lot of new designers who are studying games they don't have that wide of a pool to really pick from right like yeah for us at least like we grew up with some of the original consoles out there like we we are going back pretty far and uh, yeah sure we're showing our age here but we're able to remember the experiences we had on some of these older consoles and be able to kind of compare the way that they looked then to the, what they do now and see what works and what doesn't. Like you mentioned, a lot of those games, those 3D games that have the hand-painted backgrounds, those stand the test of time still because of the hand-drawn stuff. And the only things that they really have to touch up are the 3D model characters. And I think that says a lot where the thing that fails or the thing that still doesn't work or hold true is the 3D modeling itself, right? So, but the hand-drawn stuff still looks good and is able to ring true still to this day. And we're able to kind of experience that and know that going into designing games or looking at games nowadays. But a lot of the newer designers, what do they have to go off of? They, they have only these 3D games that probably don't look great but they might not know why they don't look good anymore, right? Or they don't have a frame of reference to kind of go off of. So I feel like conservation of games is so crucial so that we, everyone can still experience that and kind of get their own, I guess, like reason as to why or how to enhance this game or how to enhance this feeling from this, right? So I don't know. It's just something important to kind of remember and think about when it comes to gaming. Yeah, it. I, I just have a major appreciation for the artists out there and especially ones that, you know, stand out. Because, I mean, even when have people use that, like, and I know you know what I'm talking about, the like the learn the draw manga oh, yeah. kind of style yeah. of art. Yeah. And 
and uh, like the RPG maker assets. It's like it, it's cool when someone draws something that stands out from that and just looks different, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, all even the people that do that art, I mean, it, it's still a talent. So I'm not knocking people, but but it sticks it's out something, and you kind of know, like yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I have mad respect for that. It's art's cool. Yeah. I I wish I was better at it. <laughs> we all are artists in our own way. So yeah, I'm an artist in my head. I'm Van Gogh. Damn straight. Go eat some paint. <laughs> yeah, I lost an ear already. <laughs> God, the, his story is so tragic. Gosh, oh my God. It really. All yeah. almost all the painters had tragic stories. That's the sad part about it. Yeah, think about it. That's right, there. You go. There's some homework for all you guys out there. If you don't know who Van Gogh is or don't know his art or his story, just oh, wow. do a little research. Just Google it because I'm sure there's people out there who know Van Gogh paintings but don't know his like story itself. Like a lot of these painters went through so much crap. Like they, the people that we call revolutionary nowadays, they were called like they were treated like trash. They were poor. They didn't have anything. Like Van Gogh, like he was really famous for painting peasants and people who were uh, poor, right? But that was so that he could get room and board for the night. He painted those guys for just to get a meal. Right. But now yeah. you look at it like these paintings are worth like millions of dollars. And he's said to be this most like, like one of the most iconic painters ever to like ever. Right. But and it's kind of the same thing, too. Like when we look at games as well, to tie it all back in, look at cell shading when it first came out, people bashed it. They thought it was going to be like silly or it's going to get outdated real quick or people are going to get annoyed with it real fast. Well, guess what? Those games still look good now. Whenever you look at games who really pushed the envelope at that time, really wanted to like push the graphics that they could, guess what? They don't look so hot now, right? Like they they don't look mm-hmm. so great. And the ones that get like reach iconic level are the ones who really paid attention and stood the test of time and found a way to innovate differently on the medium itself. So I think that's really crucial to stick with and to look at. All right, so I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening, for tuning in, all that fun stuff. Thank you all for the love and continued love and support out there. Um, yeah, if you have time, make sure to share it with a friend. Uh, if you have some more time, it would be great if you could rate and review the podcast because uh, that's really the best way for us to get out there and it really helps our general growth. So if you have a friend that is kind of into games and you want to share what you love with them as well, make sure to do so because that really helps us out. And do that also with all the other podcasts that you enjoy. Make sure that you're sharing the love with everybody out there because there's a lot of good things to listen to and a lot of people who are, you know, expanding this medium out much further and just let's all help each other grow. That's kind of the whole point here. But with that, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much. And uh, bye. Bye.